بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. Now we get to the point after the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام has already consulted with his community, and the overall decision was to go with what the majority had decided, which was to go out uh, to meet Quraysh in battle, as opposed to the minority opinion, which was to stay within the city and to let them basically try to attack, to try to lay siege on the city, but knowing they would have very limited supplies, that was the rationale behind that idea. But the Prophet decided, والسلام, to, to go ahead and to go out to meet, uh, to meet Quraysh in battle. So they go out, they have a hundred men. And he had received news, by the way, by way of his uncle Al-Abbas, who was still in Mecca, who had not yet professed his Islam. He, when he found out that Quraysh, they were planning, from their perspective, basically what would have been a surprise attack, as soon as he found that out, he basically sent a messenger secretly to Medina to inform the Prophet ﷺ. So now the Prophet had the heads up, and so they prepared accordingly. And that was why they had that discussion. So they decided when it was time to go out to meet Quraysh, they had a thousand people. And they had received news that the army of Quraysh would have 3,000 people. So they're already outnumbered once again, three to one. But then you have someone by the name of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, who was the leader of the Munafiqeen, the leader of the hypocrites in Medina. He was from the Khazraj tribe, one of the two major tribes in Medina, from Aus and Khazraj. These were the two main tribes. He was from one of them. And one of the reasons why he absolutely, unfortunately, completely despised the Prophet migrating to Medina wasallam, was because he was about to be made the leader of Medina. Because one of the reasons why they were looking for a head of state in the first place was because they had severe internal strife. They had major civil war. And shortly before this, they had a major battle which resulted in the majority of their senior elders dying from both sides within that battle between the Aus and the Khazraj. So they were looking for a new head of state. Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul was, a, was one of, you could say, one of the respected leaders, one of the respected elders from Khazraj. They were about to make him the leader. They were about to make him the king of Medina. But instead, they decided to go with the Prophet ﷺ. So from his perspective, even when he professed his Islam outwardly, internally, there was not... There was not a ray of iman. There was nothing there. And he knew there was nothing there. He did it purely as a, as a type of strategy, right? To profess one thing, to make it look like he was a Muslim, because he thought that would be, you know, something strategic with, with his best interest in mind from a dunya perspective. So this was one of the reasons why he had it out for the Prophet. He was completely envious of him, والسلام. So for him, he was part of those thousand people, going against this army of 3,000. So the, now we're before the battle. And he, he comes up with some sort of excuse, you know, some sort of, some sort of words that he, that he put together. And he ends up leaving with 300 people. And the reason why, they could have just not gone out in the first place, but the reason why they did include themselves, him and 300 of his men, of the hypocrites, why did they include themselves with the Muslims? They did that on purpose from the outset, from the get-go, from the beginning, in order to leave just before the battle to demoralize them. So hopefully they would, they would end up feeling, you know, horribly uh, at the onset of the battle, and hopefully that would, you know, result in, in them losing. So he did this at a time of warfare, at a time of battle, because of how much he despised the Prophet ﷺ. 
And one of the one of the, the, the reasons, one of the excuses that he gave was the Prophet, he listened to these youngsters. He listened to these youngsters. Why should we lose our lives because they had this idea? We didn't agree with that. We don't want to be part of, you know, this whole affair. We don't even think you guys are going to fight anyways. It's like, <laughs> what do you, that, that doesn't make any sense in and of itself, but they would talk and talk and talk. And this is one of the consistent trademarks of the hypocrites found throughout the Quran from start to finish. They talk a lot. There's a lot of words. There's a lot of, a lot of speech, but then little to no action as well as little to no financial contribution. Why would they commit to supporting Islam financially if deep within their hearts they actually wanted to see it completely eradicated? Why would they financially support the Prophet ﷺ? Words is one thing. Supporting, they say, put your money where your mouth is. right? So words are one thing, but then financial commitment is a whole other level. So he decides to pull away with 300 of his men just before the battle. They come up with these phony excuses, hoping the Muslims will be demoralized to destroy their morale. Hopefully, now that they're outnumbered four to one, hopefully they're just going to be completely destroyed. That's not what happened at all initially. So the battle starts and the, the, the Muslims had clearly won up until that point. And we all know that before the battle, the Prophet told who? He told the archers to stay on this hill, to stay on this mountain, no matter what. No matter what, whether we're dead or alive, he made it very clear to them, do not leave your post, period. But then it looked like the battle had ended, and we need to understand that armor and weapons then and now are worth a lot of money. So a number of them, they start to leave. Their commander, Abdullah bin Jubair, told them, don't leave. The Prophet instructed us to stay. So from his perspective, Samia'na wa Atana, I'm not budging on this, and I'm advising all of you, you know, because a large number of them were leaving, to, to, to listen as well, to, to keep the orders of the Prophet in mind, alayhi salatu salam. But, they, you know, the, they, they gave their reasons that, the, you know, the battle's over and this and that, and, and there's this, like, huge financial gain just sitting in front of us. Now, after the Battle of Badr, Allah had already revealed the regulations regarding the spoils of war. Even then, sometimes, you know, these things happen, mistakes happen with any of us, so this happens. And then this was when the counterattack happened with Khalid bin Walid, with Ikrimah bin, bin Abi Jahl. So they have the counterattack, and there's a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos, a lot of people end up dying do, as a direct result of that, especially from the side of the Muslims. The Prophet's life was at stake. The Prophet becomes physically injured. Right? His, he almost loses his life. And you have different companions basically acting as human shields when they're, when they're trying to protect the Prophet when there's this onslaught. They're paying the price with their lives because they believed in illa ihdal husnayn. We're only going to gain one of two victories. Either we live and we're victorious or we die as shuhadat defending the Prophet This This was their perspective. You can't defeat us internally. You can't destroy our morale. We have our trust in Allah Azza wa Jal. We're doing our part. We're taking the steps as best we can. You can't destroy us from the inside out. Even though there was that attempt at doing that, it didn't actually work. They held their own. But then some issues happened. There's the counterattack. And because of that, a lot of damage was done. Eventually, the Prophet survives. We know that he had some chain mail that was deeply embedded in his cheek. And one of the ten, Ashra Mubashara, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, he took it upon himself. This was after things had basically settled down and, and the, the, the opposing army had left. So now it was safe to do this. So he takes, the chainmail was deeply embedded in the face of the Prophet 
It was so deeply embedded when he was taking it out with his teeth. That was the only way for him to take it out. He actually lost a tooth. He lost a tooth because it was, it was so difficult to do that. But there was, there, was another, there was another ring. There were two. So one of them, he lost a tooth because of that. When he saw that, he didn't want anyone else to take out the other ring because he wanted to have the honor of taking it out. And if it means he loses a second tooth, then so be it. And he was actually praised from among the Sahaba because he had a type of speech impediment. He had a lisp because of this. This was their perspective. They didn't make fun of him. They didn't bully him. They didn't put him down. They praised him because of it. They appreciated what he had done because of what he did to help the Prophet in that situation, alayhi salatu wasalam. Now, the, the, the main takeaway, the, and of course, there's so much more that we can say, the martyrdom of, of uh, Sayyidina Hamza, of Mus'ab bin Umayr, who, was, who was, very, was among the elite from the younger generation in Mecca. And when the Prophet saw him after he had passed away, والسلام, after he was killed, this is Mus'ab now, the Prophet, he remarked, he mentioned that, I used to see you in Mecca with the finest of clothing and, and you know, with this, with this luxurious appearance, but then he became Muslim, his mother cut him off, she was his main financial supporter, and now, and the Prophet is saying, and now I see you, and you're in this simple garment, because they were willing to sacrifice for the cause, they were willing to sacrifice for Allah and His Messenger, the main takeaway, the main takeaway that we can take from this, is what ended up happening because of turning away from the instructions of the Prophet and, I'll, and I'll, I'll conclude with this. As difficult as that was, as painful as that was, to the extent later, Sayyidah Aisha asked the Prophet, was that day, the day of Uhud, the most difficult day of your life? And he said, no, it was actually the day, the day of Ta'if. But she's asking him about that day because she knew how difficult it was for him, physically, mentally, spiritually, from every angle, But think about this. You didn't have a second Uhud. You didn't have a second occurrence of during a time of battle, the Sahaba turning away, any companions turning away, anhum. So they learned from that mistake. They, they learned from that lesson to the point that even at the battle of the trench, which was far more difficult, even then they held on with their molar teeth and they didn't let go no matter what because they had learned from the past. We ask Allah to make us people who learn from the past. We ask Allah to help us to try our best to follow in the footsteps of our Prophet ﷺ. We ask Allah to make these reminders beneficial for all of us. We ask Allah to make them proof for us on judgment day, not against us.